0: Welcome to episode three of my brand new podcast, Worth Their Weight in Gold. Firstly, thank you for all the kind feedback about our first two shows. And don't forget, if you know someone worth their weight in gold, we want to hear about it. Just send us a direct message and we'd love to get them on the podcast in the future. Episode three is actually a two part series with Terry Chigwidden. We used to work together in the sports department at MBN TV on the Central Coast and Terry has become one of my great mates. He's worked at six Olympic Games as a cameraman. The first in Sydney in 2000, followed by Athens, Beijing, London in 2012, Rio 2016, and Tokyo last year. Terry shares his story about the early days of TV and working with some of the legends at Channel 10. One of his loves is the Parramatta Reels. Parramatta won the Premiership in 81, 82, 83 and also 1986. And Terry was there during the Halcyon days. In the last decade, he's also taken up Ironman triathlon, but it almost cost Terry his life. He was out riding with some mates when he was hit by a young driver and eventually airlifted to Royal North Shore Hospital in Sydney. It was a moment that changed his life forever and it's been an incredibly long road to recovery and he still feels pain on a daily basis, so we discuss that at length and we also talk about being the father of a severely autistic son. Jonathan is non-verbal and we talk at length about the challenges of raising an autistic son. And I should say, Terry's wife, Jenny, has been an absolute tower of strength and they've all done an outstanding job. And just recently, Jonathan celebrated his 34th birthday. So let's get cracking. Terry Chigwidden, one of my best mates, welcome to Worth Their Weight in Gold. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How do you like being in the man cave?
1: Ah, uh, very nice. Yes, it's uh, well decked out with man cave type stuff.
0: Yeah, you're a big fan of Corey Allen, the I man am, with the biggest hands.
1: I am a big fan of the, the Coronator. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, you know one of Australia's best water polo players. So. Who wouldn't be
0: hey, uh, Tez. Just for our audience, how old are you now, my friend? Early 60s, uh,
1: 66. Yeah, yeah, clickety clicks. Yeah. Wow, yeah, gee, you're looking
0: perhaps. fantastic, mate. Uh, we haven't got enough time to tell the entire backstory, but were you born in Sydney and how many in the Chigwidden family?
1: Yeah, born in um Parramatta Hospital, so yeah, he was fan from birth, two older sisters and one older brother, so I'm the baby of the family, and uh, yeah, had a modest home in North Mead, working class family. Dad was a glazer mum worked at uh, school as a secretary, and yeah, we you know sort of just lived a suburban life really yeah.
0: yeah uh it would have been a different Sydney back then
1: uh yeah very very um mellow, you know sort of as a kid, you know you were out till the lights came on and the street lights came on, and then you sort of wandered home and you know there was no dramas, I'm not sure if that happens these days, probably somewhere it does, but
0: yeah. I
1: wouldn't say in Sydney.
0: So you have got great memories of growing up. Yeah, it's- yeah,
1: cricket, cricket on the on the pathway pitch with my you know mate that I had since kindergarten and uh you know footy in the backyard with my brother absolutely pummeling me because he was <laughs> 8 years older. And yeah, just uh, you know all day cricket games, six and out over the fence.
0: and yeah. you mentioned about your best mate from kindergarten. Yeah. Is he still one of your best mates?
1: Uh, I haven't seen him for a long time, but yeah, we're still mates <laughs> and we sort of know what each other's up to.
0: Yeah, funny that because the guys I went to primary school with, they're still my best friends. Yeah. Uh, and still catch up with them as often as I can, but they're both on the Gold Coast. Yeah. Where does the name Chigwidden come from?
1: Uh, it's actually Cornish. So, Southwest England actually means White House. My brother.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watched a video, uh, David Letterman, with Barack Obama last night. So, the White House. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's the White House. Uh, yeah, my brother did sort of a little bit of a study into the. Into the name, and yeah, that was it. We had uh, people come out in boats. Uh, a lot of Chigwids perished on the on the journey from England to Adelaide. I think they went originally, and uh, yeah, there was a lot of sickness, and that's why there's not many in the phone book.
0: So. Yeah, you uh, you mentioned Parramatta. So, did you go and watch the mighty eels uh, back in the day, and I were you did, at yeah. any of the grand finals? So they went in 1981,
1: 82, 83, and 1986. Uh yeah, I was at. Um, yeah, I did go to Cumberland Oval many times with my with my mum and dad. It's the only time I ever heard my mum raise her voice. What'd she it, say? Normally, get off him or yes. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> she she was very protective of the uh, Parramatta players. You, you yeah.
0: motherless dog. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and uh, yeah, yeah. She was oh, she was pretty calm in what she'd say, but she'd say it loudly, and it was always surprised me because you know she was very quiet
0: in um, a Mariah Carey type octave, like up in uh, well, up in the high ranges.
1: Uh, I was like a ferocious off here <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she was a very private quiet person and but you know the footy just brought out she crossed the white line yeah yeah. and yeah. Uh, especially when you know if if they were um, manhandling Ken Thornette you know, that was when the, the volume really lifted <laughs> <laughs> uh, what
0: about your favorite players
1: oh uh, well, Ken Thornett would be one yeah he's just uh, just a great character and as I say, the life and soul of Parramatta in those early days, you know. And
0: were you a Cumberland Oval when the stadium burnt down?
1: Ah, uh, no, I wasn't. But yeah, I was very proud that oh, the, grand,
0: <laughs> the grandstand. <laughs> very proud that day. Yeah, I think,
1: I think I might have. No, I didn't work on that grand final. I worked on maybe the '86 grand final. Yeah, can't remember. But I was working on one of the grand finals. Just, I could hardly. Uh, you know, Looking into the viewfinder, of course, it was just so exciting to see Parramatta win.
0: Yeah, know. well, that team of the early 80s, they're one of the greatest teams ever oh, assembled, aren't they? Magnificent, yeah. You, know. and you just rattle off all those names yeah. in the back line. So
1: How could you get a team like that together?
0: You know? Sterling and Kenny and Growth, Zip Zip Man, yeah. Steve Eller, Ray Price, yeah. Mick Cronin. Incredible, yeah. You kind of gave me a perfect segue into the next part of the interview. So were your goals and aspirations, like when do you become a cameraman?
1: Ah well, yeah, I was a bit of a bit of a worry to my dad. Um, I never knew what I was going to do, and he was always he was always looking out for me. He got me a job as a butcher. I lasted two weeks. Oh, you would have hated that. Oh, terrible! And uh, you know, I was just making sausages. I I
0: Have you you ever had a sausage since? (laughs) No,
1: (laughs) I lasted two weeks, but I had a week off, you know, (laughs) Uh, because I just couldn't couldn't stand it. And then he got me a job as a cabinet maker, and I was hopeless of that and then uh and yeah but at
0: the time were you now correct me if I'm wrong I've seen photos like did you have long hair and maybe you were anti-establishment yeah, I was and pretty, kind of living a nomadic ty- type of life aka hippie
1: uh well not hippie no never in the hippie category <laughs> um uh, make love not war.
0: yeah it's pretty much that way but
1: but yeah, yeah we used to you know sort of living at um living at Northmead and, you know, took up surfing. So, catching, you know, catching the train and the ferry to Manly, you know, off the board under my arm, and uh, growing the long hair, and and you know, sort of living the dream. As you know, I left school at sixteen, and then sort of had all these odd jobs. And you know, the weekend at the beach was you know something special. Then you know, sort of moved off to Manuvail. But yeah, my dad, um, he he was always worried about me, and so he's always you know. Trying to find a job for me, <laughs> and and I, for some reason, I started a TV course, you know, at North Sydney Tech, and I was doing this course, and he knew I was doing this course, and he met um, a guy who's still a friend of mine. I don't, still don't see him that often, but a great friend of mine, Alan Kat, who was a director at Channel Ten, you know, he production director at Channel Ten, and Alan was actually filming, a videoing the Parramatta First grade games, like I think he was the first guy ever to, you know, use video for, for training purposes. And my dad just sort of he was standing on a scaffold and he tugged on his pants and said, "Yeah, hey mate, you know, my son's doing a TV course. At, you know, what do you reckon?" He says, "Oh, I'll tell him to come over to Channel Ten on Monday and uh, and have a look around." So, oh, I went, wow, and I how walked, good walked in there, had a look around. They said, "Can you start next Monday?" I said, uh, yep." <laughs> that is the, incredible, the, yeah, isn't it? Amazing, yeah. And just,
0: it's almost like how I started in radio. My mum heard the local radio station, Radio ninety seven. They put an ad on there after a trainee announcer, and she goes, "You should go for this." <laughs> so your dad's helped you, yeah, m- take a step forward in the industry. And without my mum, yeah, you know, I might be a lifeguard on the Gold Coast now.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And like fifty years in television, and just loved every moment of it.
0: Uh, what, what type of cameras were you working with back then?
1: Uh, they were called uh, Marconi Mark 8s and they were big boxy things, you know, set on a, in the studio, you know, they sat on a pedestal which went up and down and moved around and uh, out on, like at the football and that big chunky thing sitting well, on a tripod. What did they weigh? Couldn't be actual certain of the weight, but they were heavy. You know? you and, two, and, guys, two guys had to carry them.
0: <laughs> and if we're talking about, you know, filming in 4K or 8K these days, yeah. back then, were you kind of filming in cinema?
1: No, no, it was just sort of dodgy standard.
0: (laughs) Four by three. Yeah,
1: four by three, you know, this square, horrible looking picture, which, you know, know, went home and you couldn't tell if it was in focus or not.
0: (laughs) So So something must have kind of piqued your interest in doing this. Like how did you enrol in the course in the first place?
1: Yeah, as I say, I don't know. I don't know how I (laughs) even got into that course, you know, of course. Well,
0: you walked past one day, saw a sign. Yeah, maybe, because yeah. I,
1: <laughs> I tried to get into a carpentry course and I failed that.
0: <laughs> so I, the
1: memory's hazy. The memory's very hazy. I, and maybe, you know, I remember going one, you know, I remember one night there that I went and that's all I
0: remember about it. Um, is, is this before or after you spend time, like, backpacking through Portugal?
1: Uh, this is before, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, this is well before. Um, yeah. what, what's Channel 10 like back in those days? Oh, and, if, and I dare say, like, when I first walked in the radio station at Radio 97, you, you walked in the studio and it was lit up like a cockpit of an F-111 and so there's that real excitement and the on-air light goes on and I can still remember that. I can still remember the smell and the touch and how about for you?
1: Oh, it was, it was fantastic. It was like a, a holiday village, you know. <laughs> you know, just all your best mates were there, you know, you'd turn up every... Like, by that stage, I'd moved to Monoval, We're living 500 metres from the beach, so I'd I'd run down, (laughs) have a surf in the morning, then uh, you know, head off to Channel Ten up Mount Road, my EH EH Holden, and you know, get there late, (laughs) get there late as usual, and uh, nothing's changed. And you just go in, and all your mates are there, and just laugh all day, and you know, do a bit of work in between, and it was fun. Yeah, you're doing Mike Walsh show, or
0: you know, I was going to say, who are some of the superstars at the network?
1: Number ninety six was happening then, Yeah. yeah, so they were all. They were all around and about. But, yeah, they they were all there, and uh, Mike Walsh. Oh, Mike Abigail. Walsh, Abigail, yeah, that's right. She oh, my goodness. Yeah, and um, yeah, it was only a young fella then. It was sort of a bit of an eye-opener.
0: Yeah, and, and that was in the days where it was kind of just uh, a little bit uh, X-rated, wasn't it? Yeah. Like there was for, a fair bit of nudity back yeah, in those, for those days.
1: Yeah, for that time, yeah, for that time it was like you know, the first the first to go down that that road, and uh, yeah, it was a great time great people you know just as I say just laughed all day and just had fun did you know did you work well you know and yeah you know, met some great characters met um, my sort of mentor was Ian O'Brien a gold Olympic gold medalist and he is just the, the funniest man he's still working like late into his 70s he's still working on the on the v8 supercars and
0: yeah, yeah. the uh, when I started in radio Philip Brady was on the Gold Coast uh he was Graham Kennedy's offsider did you meet make- Meet the King.
1: I yeah met the King. Used to work on a show called Blankety Blanks, (laughs) and uh, yeah, one of my favourite
0: shows of all time. Yeah,
1: and uh, he was uh, a private sort of character, and he didn't have a lot to do with the crew. You know, he'd he'd sort of go to his dressing room and disappear, and then come out for the show. And yeah, uh, yeah, so it didn't have a real lot to do with him. But yeah, he's sort of just incredible to work with
0: yeah know. what about uh, Nolene Knockers-Brown she was on that show yeah
1: yeah yeah she was good she you, was.
0: you can't say that these days no. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, ugly, I'm going to leave it in the podcast though Ugly Dave um, no, oh, Ugly Dave Gray yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh,
1: it was great because I just Stuart Wagstaff Stuart Wagstaff was. Um, yeah oh. all, all the old names yeah. <laughs> all, the, all the classics um,
0: hey by the way what about the Symphony of German Shepherds that, <laughs> yeah, that fire up on the podcast yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: they're not effects folks uh, (laughs) yeah
0: yeah so great times at channel 10 yeah and what happens next for you oh by the way so you mentioned about some of your heroes can you tell us more about mentors and what they taught you about the business
1: uh well as i say you know brian you know olympic gold medalist i think he still holds a record for 100 yards backstroke uh breaststroke because um you know, they changed it to metres, so, he <laughs> 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 so he's still got the 100-yard record. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I always thought he was, um, you know, should have got more glory than he did, you know, really, because yeah. just, a, just a champion bloke and, and taught me a lot. You know, he was one of the best in the business at those days. He'd, when Channel 10 started, he'd come from Channel 9 uh, and, yeah, it was one of the best.
0: And, yeah, it's a bygone era in TV, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah, you just don't get that anymore because there's hardly anyone on staff. They're all contractors, freelancers mm. now, yeah, so you don't get that training. And uh, But the young kids today, they, they're they just picking up pretty quick anyhow.
0: Yeah, a lot of the stars back then were multifaceted too. So if they are up for a gold logie, it was like they were a performer across all types of entertainment.
1: Yeah, yeah, and... Uh, yeah, Graham Kennedy prime example. Uh yeah. Bert Newton. Newton. Yeah. And yeah, very different era. Yeah, there the wasn't the um yeah. <laughs> What what is it these days sort of reality TV yeah. overwhelmed us with rubbish, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's that's incredible, isn't it? What happens next for you? When when do you head to Europe and start backpacking?
1: Uh well, I I had a f- friend at Channel 10 who was a mad keen surfer and he'd he'd been in my ear about South Africa, you know, and uh, going to Mauritius and South Africa, so I headed off, headed off there. Um, often thought, you know, maybe I should have stayed a little longer at Channel <laughs> Ten, might have been better for the career. But, um, but yeah, headed off and had six months in South Africa, just surfing Jeffrey's Bay and Cape Saint Francis and all the great spots, fantastic waves. See uh, Sean Thompson? Uh, I didn't see him. No, but um, yeah, it was a, you know, it was the apartheid area there, so it was sort of. Bit weird for a, a young boy from because I was still only I was pretty young, still twenty two or something, just travelling around
0: and yeah. So Nelson Mandela's in jail, jail,
1: yeah, and South African guys I was hanging with were yeah, it wasn't good, and I felt that, but I just sort of tried to distance myself and just enjoy the enjoy the surf and mm. and the country and and yeah, it was you know beautiful time, but yeah, tricky time politically. Yeah, so mm. I went from there to met a couple of Aussies in Jeffreys Bay and they said oh you got to go to Berits in France. Uh, okay. <laughs> 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 nothing else, nothing else to do, yeah. But uh yes, yeah, so I went to Berits in France and had a great time there. Be stunning. Oh, just the best place. Yeah, best place ever. Great food, people were good, you know. A lot of people talk about the French people, but yeah, I loved it, you know. I had my couple of words in French and they loved it. <laughs> and, uh, they loved that and just enjoyed my time there then did a bit of time in Portugal, met up with the Bra boys <laughs> in Spain, and they said, Oh, we're going to Portugal. Want to come? Yeah, nothing else to do. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so when we went with Richard Cram, yeah, and they sort of got. Oh,
0: what a great surfer. Mm.
1: And yeah, I felt way out of my depth <laughs> trying to surf with those guys. So. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was fun. In Paris and then went to Paris and did a few other things. And yeah, just, uh, what an
0: experience. Oh, incredible. So yeah. so when you come back, you mentioned that you filmed one of the grand finals. So what, you fall straight back into Channel 10?
1: Uh, yeah, I came back. My mum got quite <coughs> sick. And um, so um, amazingly, um, I was in a car park in, in Mundaka in Spain, which is, you know, like the best surf spot in Spain, and just in a car park in a combi with my British mate. And a hand comes in through the door with a telegram, you know,
0: Oh, this is incredible! And
1: says, uh, "Hi, uh, Terry, brother here, Gary. Ring as soon as possible."
0: So they find you yeah. in a combi van in at Mundaka. Yeah,
1: in a like a little fishing village in Mundaka.
0: So this is the picture you're painting for this day and age, where yeah, everything's mobile phones and yeah. you can Facetime across the world. But yeah. this is how it was done back in our day.
1: Yeah, a telegram, and it was hard to even phone call. So I had to.
0: Well, STD would cost you 200 bucks for five minutes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But um, found a phone in one, you know, there's about 17 bars in this little fishing village. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so find a phone in one of the bars and and call my brother and says, you've got to come back. Mum's really sick. And came back December, just before Christmas. Mum died in February and got a job back at Channel 10.
0: um, Oh, mate. So sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. It was. um, So she would have been fairly young.
1: Yeah, she was uh, fifty, fifty-five. Yeah, and um,
0: was it cancer? Yeah, it was cancer, uh, bowel cancer. And
1: yeah. every time I mention that to the doctors, they go, "Oh, you've got to have a, <laughs> you've got to have a, a test." You know, but uh, yeah, she was young, mm-hmm. just the love of my life. You know, at that that age. You know. What was her was name? Beryl. Yeah, Beryl. Beryl Knight was a maiden name. Beryl Chigwidden, married and uh she yeah it was pretty quick
0: what a shame they didn't have the screening yeah that we've got now
1: yeah that's right but
0: uh, speaking of which Sharon keeps telling me I need to do it again yeah <laughs> sometimes I need a hand to hold me while yeah. I'm doing it but <laughs> but we're in that danger category aren't we
1: yeah uh, i think so but you know i've got i've got 11 years past mum's mm.
0: uh
1: death date and so uh, yeah. Um,
0: what were some of the great qualities that she instilled in you?
1: I think, um, yeah, she was just quiet. She was humble, very but could fire up. Yeah, yeah. At the footy, at the footy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Loved it. Loved the eels. <laughs> and she was just, you know, big on manners and and just being, you know, courteous to people and and um, sort of knowing your place. I guess you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> stay uh, in your lane. Yeah. yeah hey. And she was, yeah, sort of. Big on the feather duster, sort of (laughs) keep you in line. (laughs) Yeah, which I appreciate now.
0: Well, thanks for sharing that with us. So you filmed the footy, but I want to talk uh, specifically today, of course, about the Olympics, yeah. which is something that really defines you. How many Olympic games have you worked at?
1: Uh, that would be six. Six now, yeah. Sydney was the first. Uh, then just snowballed from there. <laughs> uh, what are
0: your recollections of your first Olympics? And I do remember you said, I think you said Athens were your favourite, but yeah. tell me more.
1: Uh, well, Sydney was, um, with the last five I've done, it's all been aquatics, but Sydney was boxing. <laughs> And uh, the magic moment was Muhammad Ali sort of walking into the room, and the whole room going going nuts, you know. <laughs> and yeah, he was he was pretty well down the track of um, Parkinson's, I think. And yeah, so it, it was an awkward sort of walk, but you know the crowd just mm. you know mm. just honoured him, and and that was that was a great moment. Evander uh, Holyfield sort of came up to our camera platform, said g'day, now sort of. Checked out the ear. If <laughs> <Yep>, that's him, <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, so that was pretty good. And
0: is there someone that phones you and says you're one of the best cameramen that we've got? Like is that how the conversation goes?
1: uh, they don't normally start with that
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, uh, they just said, "Are you available? <laughs> yeah
0: well, we can't say what the director actually says to you guys, so I've heard it, yeah, and sometimes they just scream at yeah. you, and I hopefully think, hopefully that's changed yeah, it
1: has changed. It used to be very bad <coughs> back in the day, um you know, they would not get away with it now, no. it was very abusive very very pointed at, you know. Normally yeah. the director would pick on one person and just – They yeah. won't
0: tell your name. They'll call you Camera Cam- Four. Yeah. So what's we'll your highlight of the Sydney 2000 Olympics?
1: Uh, probably Muhammad <coughs> Ali coming in and, um, yeah, just the atmosphere. I think, you know, walking yeah. around Sydney, we, I was staying in a hotel right in Darling Harbour uh, because the boxing was in Darling Harbour, not out at Homebush. Yeah, and just the atmosphere through yeah. Darling Harbour was incredible and getting to see the marathon come past and – Everyone was smiling. Sydney was very happy.
0: It was unlike anything we've ever seen, really. Uh, When Sharon and I arrived and we went to the basketball and also the water polo, funny story this we lined up, (laughs) or I lined up, for six hours in Newcastle to buy tickets to go watch the water polo. And, uh, you know, it was fun in the line and we tried to amuse ourselves and a bit of a carnival atmosphere. When we got to the water polo in Sydney at Ride Aquatic Centre, it was a little ticket booth where you could have gone and bought one in two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, but think of all the atmosphere you missed. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. How do you go from boxing to aquatics and stay on aquatics for five Olympic games? Tell us that.
1: Uh, that's mainly due to a, a fellow called Greg Clark. He should be honoured with an award, you know, of some sort, you know, because he's he's managed to crew, you know, the aquatics for at least six Olympics. He just started out as a cameraman like you know, like us, you know, sort of unqualified for anything else. <laughs> and uh and was able to organise huge crews, you know, like it's a huge event to to stage a, a crew at Olympic Olympic Games at a venue. Mm. And you know, to go through all the the official business that you have to go through to get a crew, you know, from mainly from Australia, some some Kiwis thrown in. Uh, to, say, Athens or Beijing or uh, Rio or, or, you know, especially Tokyo through COVID. Incredible job he's done,
0: you know. Hey, uh, can I ask something controversial? You hear the saying, uh, cameraman. I'm not seeing too many camera women. Like, is there some kind of glass ceiling?
1: (laughs) There's a few out there now.
0: Uh, Don't forget, it's been like radio too where you'd hardly ever hear a female voice and now there's supremely talented women everywhere.
1: Yeah, no, there there, there are a few out there. girl called Honey who sits on the back of a motorbike at, at all the cycling uh, races with a uh, good mate, uh, Bruce, Moto Bruce, we call him, who rides the motorbike. And, uh, yeah, incredible. she's They've had a couple of stacks and she's broken collarbones and ribs and that, and she's still there, gutsy as. You know. Yeah,
0: yeah. So Athens is your favourite. Tell us why. And let's not forget that in Beijing you film, at the time, the greatest dive the world had ever seen by Matthew Mitchum. But why is Athens your favourite?
1: Uh, I think just, again, the atmosphere, you know, and the the history, you know, it's where it all started and, you know, you walk around and say, oh, look at that, (laughs) you know, just incredible sights around Athens and, yeah, I think just, you know, the returning of the Olympic Games to home and I think because it was the most unorganised Games, (laughs) (laughs) like on where we were staying, our accommodation wasn't far from the main stadium, so I thought, oh, we couldn't get into the opening ceremony even with our accreditation. Uh, but I thought I'd just, I'd just walk down and have a look at the atmosphere and as I'm walking down, you know, there's still guys tapping in pavers, you know, <laughs> <laughs> knocking in pavers, you know, to, on the way to the main stadium. I thought, yeah.
0: Have you got a favourite all-time Olympic moment that you've been a part of? Um, the Matthew Mitchum dive would have been phenomenal. Matthew Mitchum phenomenal.
1: dive. But I think my favourite games moment was Commonwealth Games in Melbourne.
0: Karen McCann. Uh, winning the um
1: marathon. marathon just i've never heard a stadium like it a like, you know, small little australia compared to all these other places but,
0: but you are talking the mcg
1: mcg and the crowd noise as i say i've never heard anything like when she ran into the stadium ahead <laughs> yeah and just the the backstory you know or the following story of you know her her passing you know not so long ago and not so long after the race,
0: yeah. And we've had uh, we saw our girls fly the Aussie flag at this Commonwealth Games. There's some great Australian marathon women coming through.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, just the I think the marathon is you know games epitomizes you know Commonwealth Olympic Games. You know the marathon is the start really of of the games type.
0: Hey, by the way, in Athens and also Beijing, you're probably watching a few of the greatest. Middle distance runners the world's ever seen. So you're seeing Gebra Selesi and Hisham Elgarouge.
1: I didn't get to see much of the athletics anyway because we're always mm. fairly busy. What I did see in Athens was uh, the Aussie um, uh, 4,000 metre cyclist have a win. Yeah, yeah. Um, with uh, Brad McGee. Brad McGee, I think, Graham Brown, maybe, who, funnily enough, I ride with on Saturday mornings now on, um, on a program called Zwift where you. Know, you People all around the world ride together. Wow, that's incredible. Trainer. Yeah, and great bloke. He's, um, when I get dropped by the bunch, he always comes back and... Uh, that and was a win for him. the ages, wasn't it? Oh, it was incredible. Beat England, and I was actually in the, in the velodrome, and, uh, yeah, just a great moment. I actually went with one of the guys I was working with. <laughs> was an English guy, and I don't think he's talked to me since.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, so you lead me into one of your next best loves. So, Man Triathlon Cycling. Like, I feel like you might want to be reincarnated as a Tour de France cyclist. Yeah,
1: I would have loved you. Know, I didn't even know what cycling was as a kid, uh, but I think I would have loved to have just been, you know, one of the workers in the team, you know, with a domestic, not even super domestic, but I just I love the, the team spirit behind, you know, one guy absolutely giving his all for another guy to win. I just love that, that um, combination of team, and individual winner
0: so you could name names that no one else could name so tell me some of the performances that no one would know about but it's something that a domestique has done to get the marquee rider over the line
1: well guys like Wout van Aert who you know incredible in themselves when it's not their sort of race they'll go back you know, they'll go back to the car put you know a dozen bottles on their back and go out and hand them out to the rest of the team and Jens Voigt was a classic he he would absolutely yeah. just flog himself you know, for the other guy to win. <laughs> you, know, you don't really get that in other sports. Mm. You know, maybe in a team like a rugby league, there's guys who are you – know, Ray Price who's just you know, giving his everything just yeah, for yeah. the team, but not for
0: – Sacrifice yourself.
1: Sacrifice yourself, not for – sacrificing yourself for one other person to, mm. to get the glory. Now,
0: now, a lot of people, they would find that hard to comprehend. You're going to try to take the sprint out of someone – so that our guy can come through and win at the end. Yeah. And you're going to finish back in the pack.
1: Yeah, way back, you know, sort of, you know, mm. you know
0: and... Um, You've actually done the virtual Everest, is that correct? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, virtual Everest. Around the, the date of the accident, I always want to do something to really win back the day. Yeah, so I decide to... So the first year I did, I completed another Ironman, which I was training for when I had the accident. So a year after the accident, I completed Ironman. And then the year after that, Around the same date, I did a, a virtual Everest, which is riding the height of e- Everest,
0: 8,848
1: metres. And you can take as long as you want, but you can't sleep. You know, you're <laughs> not allowed to sleep. So, so I took, you know, I was sitting on a home trainer connected to Zwift, which is a computer program, which I have friends all around the world now on Zwift, and it's fantastic. And, yeah, just sat there took me 16 hours to to ride the height of Everest, but 18 hours overall because I had, (laughs) over that period, I had like five meals, five showers, five changes of clothes. (laughs) And, yeah, but I was sort of proud to get it done. It was hard. It was very hard.
0: Have you got a favourite cyclist of all time? And do you watch more than just the Tour de France? Are you watching all of the Grand Tours?
1: Uh, I was, till Foxtel took (laughs) Spur off. (laughs) But, uh,
0: yeah, SBS is
1: as all the Grand Tours, which is great. But, yeah, Eurosport had, had everything happening in Europe, but, yeah.
0: What about favourite commentator? Oh. Because I know you love your commentary. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, it has to be Phil Liggett and and Paul, uh, who passed away.
0: Um, yeah, very sad. Yeah. Great voice, great too. Great voice, yeah. Because uh, I think, in my opinion, the great commentators, they've got a real sound. Yeah, uh, yeah. As well as knowledge and passion.
1: Yeah, but they've got a uniqueness to their, to yeah. their tone. Yeah, so he... Yeah, they were great. Um, Favourite cyclist? Yeah, I don't know. I just respect them all. It's hard. It's a very difficult
0: sport. Really. What Cadell did was incredible.
1: Yeah, Cadell was incredible and a few young guys coming through, Jai Hindley now.
0: A few times I thought Cadell's team could have done more to help him, if you're talking about domestiques. Yeah. A few times I just think he was isolated in the mountains and that, that's what made that amazing, that win.
1: Yeah. I think he was just so determined that didn't matter what the team did, he was going to Do it, yeah, and incredible sort of mountain bike background, uh, which a
0: lot of the top guys you know Mm. build
1: their strength through mountain bike. Was it
0: Robbie McEwen, the sprinter? Sprinter, yeah. Uh, What a career he had!
1: Yeah, and that is dangerous. (laughs) Sprint, yeah, being a sprinter is dangerous.
0: That is part one with Terry Chigwidden. I hope you enjoyed the chat as much as I did. Now that was a lot of fun, but in part two, we step through some really difficult subject matter. Firstly, we talk about Terry's accident. And if this show is called Worth Their Weight in Gold, then Mark Davis certainly fits that bill. He had extensive first aid experience and he made some critical decisions in that chaotic moment at Tewoon Bay. There's no doubt he saved Terry's life. So we'll step through a day that changed Terry's life forever. We'll also discuss raising a severely autistic son, Jonathan, and the sheer determination from the entire family to give Jonathan every opportunity possible. Thanks for listening. Hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Best wishes to you and your family for Christmas, and we'll catch you again soon on Worth Their Waiting Gold.